in recent years, you've maybe seen various expressions of artificial intelligence on the rise from the game of Go to self-driving cars. But what about a very practical application outside of, say, transport, if they ever get that sorted, medicine? One leading expert wrote the book Deep Medicine, How Artificial Intelligence Can Make Healthcare Human Again. And we have that author, Dr. Eric Topol, on the line right now. Thank you for taking the time. Sure, great to join you. I should point out you're also the founder and director of the Scripps Research Translational Institute in La Jolla, California. Coming on to this question of the relationship between doctors and patients and and why there might be something there that needs to be fixed in the first place, how have things changed since you first became a doctor? Well, there's been a progressive erosion of the relationship between patients and doctors. Um, Much of that is related to the very limited time that is spent between them face-to-face without uh, typing on a keyboard or looking at a screen or even the absolute time. Uh, so there's been this degradation uh, of a human bond, and we need to restore it. Instinctively, I feel like that human bond could make a difference to a patient outcome and certainly could make a difference to a patient's state of anxiety uh, or worry, for example, on, a, on another level. Like th- there could be the, the clinical anxiety, but there could be just that fleeting moment of, why is the doctor not helping me here? Absolutely. I mean, this is central, the trust and that empathy, the deep relationship between uh, patient and physician has enormous uh, effects on outcomes. That's been proven. So we, we have to work to get that back. And that is a reason for why there's a global burnout of physicians you know, and clinicians in general. So we have an opportunity here that is unmatched, and that is the ability to use uh, the machine, the artificial intelligence path to decompress the work of physicians, also empower patients more, and overall bring back the humanity, which is the essence of what medicine's all about. So can you spell out for us how artificial intelligence actually brings back the humanity? Right. Well, the easiest thing to picture is that you wouldn't have a keyboard that a doctor would be pecking in well, and not even being able to look at the patient, because that all could be done through voice. And that voice-to-text natural language processing is eminently doable, and it's being done in many clinics now uh, around the world. So that's a first step. But also one of the big issues is it takes a lot of time to review what's in the chart about a patient. And that also is a perfect thing uh, for algorithms to do and get that all teed up for the physician so that when the, the doctor seeing the patient, a lot of the uh, data aggregation already been done. So on the doctor's side, much of this can be accomplished to make accuracy, uh, speed, and productivity markedly improve. But there's another side to this also, which is patients are generating data now more than ever, whether that's for their blood pressure or their heart rhythm or glucose, uh, their sleep, And these data can be very much processed through uh, machine algorithms. Uh, And in fact, many diagnoses now can be done without a doctor, whether it's an ear infection for a child, a urinary tract infection, uh, a skin lesion, possible skin cancer. These are the common things that we now have uh, deep learning 
algorithms that can accurately uh, make the diagnosis. So they can focus on some of the difficult questions that rely on either great experience or very clever instinct and, and allow the doctor to do more of the human stuff. That's right. So for the more important matters that are not routine and, and non-serious, and also they're having more time to actually spend in discussion, in listening to patients, in doing a careful physical exam, in discussing the whole uh, issues that are the concern to the patient. These are the matters that are not adequately addressed today. We have to get that back. Uh, at one point, you know, before 1980, globally, this was uh, the, the norm. But throughout, and certainly in my visits to South Korea, I've seen it as well, that we have lost our way. And this pivotal relationship has got to be made the number one priority. And instead of everyone worrying about artificial intelligence getting the scan read accurately, which is nice, the overarching goal should be this bring back humanity. What about the limitations that are there that we're seeing, for example, in, in sharing between countries? Is it very important that the whole world jumps on board? We've seen with the COVID-19 outbreak, for example, how fastest sharing of information right from the outset might might have helped to contain within China the outbreak and then also contain abroad? Well, yes, I think you're bringing up another point. Yes, in this midst of this epidemic, it's also been an infodemic where we've seen more data sharing than ever before for any medical matter. There's also been, of course, some negative aspects to some of that data uh, or sharing hasn't been good. Uh, this idea about conspiracy theories or false information. But overall, there is the ability now to handle data at massive scale. And that's why if we had deep data for all individuals on our planet, we could have that information be used to promote the health of another individual who's matched up, the so-called digital twin. That's through a number of AI tools. But this whole idea of having a digital twin infrastructure, learning from our fellow man and women, this is a really exciting opportunity we, we couldn't even think about before. But, for example, someone has cancer mm. and you don't know what is the best treatment, you could find the closest twin to that person. Uh, there would be probably several. And you could uh, come up with the, the ideal treatment and outcomes based on other people rather than clinical trials which are, of course, generalized and not really resembling the individual. Until now, it seemed like big data can be really helpful for big systems and particularly for insurance companies and, and others that rely on making decisions based on whole populations. But for individuals, sometimes it can be even dangerous, for example. They, they, they might react very differently to a certain type of treatment that works on... 99 out of 100 people. But I guess also AI needs to get ahead of that and, and work out what's going on in that one out of 100 on a bigger scale. Exactly. You know, what we do in medicine today is so much uh, mass medicine, where we apply whether it's a diagnosis or a treatment uh, based on very generalized features, not taking the individual into account. And so this ability to deal with data, that is big data, on an individual basis is what would get us to the point of 
much better ways to prevent conditions, better treatments. And so there's a lot of opportunity going forward, but all of that to me is still less of a priority than the humanity aspect, which we already discussed uh, to some extent. Yeah, because naturally this conversation can steer away from the humanity towards financial decisions. What does it take to to get governments and healthcare policy decision makers to, to actually introduce this kind of technology? Yeah, that's the crucial question that you're asking now, because if we don't take an active role here as, as the medical community, we already know what happens. This has become a big business around the world of healthcare, seeing more patients in less time, reading more scans and reading more slides and all these things that have basically become a business. So in order to override that, we need activism among doctors especially to say to the overlords, that is the, the administrators who typically run health systems, who don't take care of patients, that no, we're not going to see patients in, in a few minutes. We need more time. The gift of time is what the greatest thing that we can derive from the AI in medical era. So we have to, I don't, the term revolt may not be uh, so precise, but we need to take charge and say, no, we're not going to see more patients in even less time with the help of machines. We're actually going to make the priority to take that time with patients. And so if we do that, whether it's governments, whether it's specific health systems in regions, that's the push that has to come. Uh, in order to, to get this uh, back to the future of what healthcare and medicine should be like. What's your view of AI and, and robotics assisting or even taking over some of the traditional human functions? I mean, as a cardiologist yourself, for example, how would you feel about robots completely taking over heart surgery to try to eliminate the possibility of error or to be even more accurate? Yeah, I think the problem we have, uh, you're touching on, is this kind of innate sense that it's one or the other. You know, it's the machines or the robots versus the humans and doctors. And that's kind of crazy stuff because what we really want is to get the best of both. Because there are things like, for example, that robots or machines can see, can do, that, that humans uh, can. Uh, so what we want is to get the best of both worlds. And so I don't envision a heart surgery being done purely by a robot. Uh, we already have robotic assistance today. That can be so much better uh, in the future. So, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more of this power of the combination. So, for example, the radiologist that's reading a scan can't see things that the um, AI can see. But together, the judgment of the doctor, the context of the doctor, the common sense the doctor that the machine will never have. These are the examples of how we get this fusion, this synergy between the two. Another area of potential technological breakthrough that might also work in conjunction would be the nanoscale. And I've been waiting for this for several years, but it makes intuitive sense to me that also with the benefit of, of AI, we could uh, effectively employ these tiny, tiny cameras or tiny, tiny surgical instruments 
whatever purpose they would serve, to go inside blood vessels, to go scouting out cancer cells or whatever else it may be. Do you see that kind of technology as being very promising at this point, or is it still very sci-fi? Well, it's kind of sci-fi, yes, but there is something you're touching on that's really interesting in that, you know, we have a really hard time, for example, of seeing circulating tumor cells, which are the earliest signs that there's a cancer that's starting to take hold well before there is a scan that would show it. Mm. So the fact that that could be discerned through AI, which has been shown very nicely, uh, because these are rare cells in the bloodstream, but the fact that that can be done now is the precursor to being able to detect that at the earliest possible time, because certainly we would think that if you can catch cancer when it's so microscopic, well, you'd have a better chance of being able to squash it and prevent it from ever really taking hold. And so many things that are in the more distant future, like you're mentioning, uh, we see the beginning of that story now. Yeah, and and I think many of us would place a lot of hope in that area. Does one other area also need to be addressed? It kind of comes back to my question about financing, which is just the different nature of healthcare systems around the world. Like, you've got a situation in the United States where healthcare already in its um, very human form, without the benefit of much AI, is very expensive. The situation in the UK, where I'm from, you've got the NHS having to make these big decisions that suit the masses, but not necessarily all individuals because of their funding limitations. And you've got somewhere like Korea where it's more affordable, but again, uh, it would be a very big financial strain to invest heavily in any direction. What would your final message be on, on how to adapt this to different financial systems? Well, it is an issue because um, you can see a great recovery reduction of costs by making initial investments. Certainly, we're seeing that uh, for radiology. Uh, We eventually will see that in pathology. But I do think uh, the big story here is that the the patient doctor, for example, what I mentioned with respect to no longer keyboards, liberation from keyboards, that in itself, would provide a tremendous boost between uh, the, the human connection of patients and doctors. That would help get rid of the burnout. The burnout, which is associated with medical errors, which are doubling of medical errors. So if we're going to see uh, across the board, no matter what country, the thing that we should be focusing on now is getting this gift of time, getting face-to-face contact reestablished. There's no country in the world that we can't do better with that. Dr. Eric Topol, author of Deep Medicine, How Artificial Intelligence Can Make Healthcare Human Again. Thank you for taking the time. Oh, thanks for talking. Enjoyed it. Thank you.